Is it true that child actors do not get royalties? There was a period where this actor got all of his money stolen by his parents. Mm. I remember I created a Twitter account in 2009, and that was at the time that I was on Disney Channel. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of looked down upon. If your company is not a media company, you will not succeed. All right, welcome back to the Digital Social Hour. I'm your host, Sean Kelly, along with my co-host, Charlie Cavalier, and our guest today, Blake Michael. How are we doing? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, I'm a man. huge fan of the pod. Yeah? Yeah. The clips are cool, right? Algorithm just keeps pushing them up. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> so it's cool to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you responded. I reached out over DMs. And, it's crazy uh, how that works. I feel like these days you can get in touch with just about anybody. Yeah, it's on our DMs. first time meeting, so it's incredible. Yeah, I'd love to dive into your story, man. Where, where should we even start? I mean, you got a crazy journey. I wear a lot of hats, yeah. right? So it's hard to like define me as like one thing. Um, I've been working since I was four years old. <laughs> yeah, um, in acting, and I found my passion super young. I loved playing pretend, being inside the box. Right, and my mom put me in acting classes, and it like blew up wow. so i started by doing you know background work being an extra you know like in movies there's yeah, yeah. the extras like zach and drinking. cody were extras as babies right exactly yeah. the guy drinking the coffee in the background so just as that experience to get on a set and be around a crew and know what that's like it just sort of snowballed and shortly i was doing you know my own commercials and tv ads and then got my first tv show when i was like eight years old on cartoon network mm -hmm. and it just exploded. So there's like the acting portion of my life. Um, you know, a lot of people know me from my Disney Channel stuff. So I was in a movie called Lemonade Mouth, right. which came out on Disney Channel. Um, Dog with a Blog. I got this TV show that ran for four years. Mm -hmm. It also got four Emmy nominations, which wow. is, it's kind of crazy. Like we went to the Emmys um, three times and they throw this insane party mm -hmm. at this convention center and it's like a ball. And there are like 25 different bars and like people on like, tight ropes above you wow. and like the most insane entertainment so there's this massive party after the emmys if anyone was wondering and yeah. it was sick <laughs> but um yeah man it's been it's been quite quite a journey and nice. um yeah so i mean i don't know if you want to talk about the other stuff but it yeah. kind of blends into some of the other things i'm doing now is more on like the tech side and building apps and startups yeah and well, then there's also a whole like vc investing right side we'll dive into that one question about the acting i saw um you did hundreds of auditions and it was really hard to get that first job. What was that process like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about like building up a reputation and a brand and like meeting the right people. So much of acting is like being in the right place at the right time mm -hmm. and having a lot of luck and maybe also some talent. Right. So I think that's a huge, a huge part of it. But, you know, I've been in about a hundred projects over mm -hmm. my career. I've been on over 2,000 auditions to mm. get those projects. Wow. People don't realize how much failure and rejection is involved in this industry. And I know so many people who have come out to LA to pursue this dream um, and they never get their shot because mm. they just didn't get that. They didn't try one more time to get that job they would have booked. Right. There's so much failure and so much rejection. And as a kid, it's extremely difficult to deal with that. Mm. And I'm lucky because my, my mom and I were very close and my whole family was super supportive of me. My mom always told me that if I just focus on being 1% better on the next audition, good things will happen. Mm. Rather than focusing on, oh, will I get the callback? Right. Um, did I get the part? Oh, I want this so bad. 
and rather just think of yourself, think of how you can be a little bit better for the next time. That's how I got past that rejection. But there was so much, um, and I see so many actors drop out because they just, they don't book something after five, 10, 20 auditions. Right. And they don't realize it was just the next one they might've booked. Yeah, those auditions are fun to watch, man. Like whenever I have a show I really like, I go back and I watch the auditions from the main cast and it's so fascinating to see where they started and like how it turned into fruition. I love watching actors talk about acting yeah. and I actually teach acting classes on the weekends to this group of kids. It's it's a oh, ton nice. of fun. But I always tell them like, look up your favorite actor and then search that actor talking about acting. And mm. it's so cool. I think this goes the same, um, the same for, for a lot of industries to hear people speak about the business side of what they do right. and how they've handled certain things is incredibly inspiring. Absolutely. Is it true that child actors do not get royalties from their shows? So it, I believe most, most should. Okay. I'm sure there are people out there who probably have unclaimed residuals. Um, but what happened uh, back in, in the, uh, I don't know how long ago this was, you could probably fact check me, but there was a period where this actor got all of his money stolen um, away from him by his parents. Mm. And so I believe his name was Jackie Coogan. His last name was Coogan. So he went to the courts and he said, basically, hey, my family stole all my money from me while I was a child actor. And the um, evolution of that was they created the Coogan Fund. And now for every single actor since that point um, who books a job and they're under the age of 18, 10% of it goes to this Coogan fund, which right. protects the actor. So if your family tried to steal everything, you still have that 10% left over. So there's, there's some safeguards in place now to protect um, young actors. And I heard the pay for child actors isn't as much as adult. Is that true? Um, that's probably true. What's fascinating though is also the amount of hours you're allowed to work on a set as a kid are much less than that of an adult. Mm. So as soon as you hit 18, like I did on the set of Dog with a Blog, they would work me way more hours. Oh. I was working, you know, I went from working eight hour days to working 12 hour days. Okay. And um, that's actually very beneficial because they get to use you a lot more. So they put you in more scenes and, and have you do more work. But for example, like an eight year old might only get four or five hours they're allowed to be on set right so they have some restrictions in place for that too right what is it like filming like do you have to memorize the whole script for each episode and then go out there and just film it the whole thing i think what people don't realize too is that for a sitcom situational comedy for those who don't know um they give you this script and it takes five days to film a TV episode. Mm -hmm. On the first day, you do a table read and they give you the, the cold draft, the white draft. They're all labeled in colors. And so that script, you'll start memorizing, getting familiar with it, get it on its feet, start rehearsing. But by day two, they've already made changes, the writers, the producers, the network, mm. to that script to make it funnier, or maybe there were some jokes that were too raunchy for the network. So now you've got a brand new revision that they call Blue, the Blue Draft, and you've got to memorize that script. Mm. And then by day three, there's another script, and it gets so extreme that even on shooting days, two hours before you film your scene, the writers might come up to you and be like, hey, Blake, here's a brand new script. You've never seen this before. We've got to have you memorized. What? And wow. we're going live in two hours. That's crazy. So my memorization skills when I was eight years old were whack. They were so bad. Yeah. And I think through the repetition and being on a, on a TV show like that um, really helped me memorize. Right. So, I mean, I remember when I was eight years old, I booked my first TV show on Cartoon Network. And I was practicing my script and I was memorizing, spending all this time, but I was only doing it in my head. I wasn't saying it out loud. Mm -hmm. So I thought I was memorized, 
big mistake mm. because I show up on on the set and I had this big walk and talk. You know, I was like the host of this Cartoon Network show. The camera's following me. I have like a full page of dialogue, mm-hmm. and I would get to the second sentence and then completely forget what all oh. of my lines were. <laughs> we took over forty takes that day, and oh, I cannot man. describe to you the amount of embarrassment I felt because I wasn't prepared enough for that script. Wow. And so ever since that point, I've made sure. I've got to have my lines down. I've got to show up to set prepared because that's ultimately your job as an actor. Wow, that's fascinating. What made you transition from acting to tech and VC? Because that's a very unique transition. So I think what excites me the most about tech is how innovative and fast-paced and collaborative it is. Acting's awesome. As an actor, I love being on a set and practicing my art and getting to show the world what I love to do. But there's so many gatekeepers in Hollywood that prevent you from actually, you know, if I say I want to be in a Marvel movie tomorrow, the chances of that happening are very, very low. Right. Got to be at the right place at the right time, know the right people. But I, in this world of technology, I realized um, how amazing it was because you kind of get to control your own destiny mm. in the way that like, if you're a vocalist, you can go on YouTube and upload a video of yourself and it goes viral and you blow up. Mm. As an actor, it's much harder to force that to happen or to have that same opportunity. People don't really like share clips of themselves acting <laughs> and get yeah. known for their talent. Right, right. Um, the world of technology too, it got, you know, I started creating online. So just like you started you know, blowing up, posting clips, sharing content, growing mm-hmm. um, a loyal fan base like, like you have, which I think is so cool. And I realized that so many other creators out there <clears throat> were in need of of tools for them to to, to build. Mm. So the area of tech that I, I'm really attracted to in, in terms of building is like the creator economy and building mm. stuff for people like you and me. Um, and I think the story behind that is in 2007, I started a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And at the time, um, YouTube was just experimenting with this monetization thing. Right. They allowed people for the first time to run ads on their content and earn a portion of the revenue. Mm-hmm. So they launched this very exclusive program called the Partner Program in 2008. And at the time, I was the youngest person to get accepted into that program. Mm-hmm. My channel did, I did magic tricks, by the way. Very okay. cool. So, <laughs> I love magic tricks. Dude, I love magic so much. David Blaine, Chris Angel. Oh, I love, yeah. So I started this YouTube channel, got accepted into this program and started earning money. But I realized all of my other YouTuber friends were also trying to get into this program Mm. and it was so hard to do that. So my very first company I made at the age of like eight or nine years old was called Get Partnered and it helped other YouTubers get monetized on YouTube. Wow. That was like the beginning of my obsession of building things for creators. And that's sort of how I got into this, you know. Okay. So you started early. Yeah, man. I, I... I love uh, building companies and I was even like trading stocks when I was eight years old. I was a very abnormal eight-year-old for sure. (laughs) Those are the people that do well, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, do you think that obviously you grew up around a lot of adults, right? Because you were working at an early age. Do you think that being around adults disproportionately more than most other kids is what contributed to you doing so many businesses so early on? Or was it just something inside of you that wanted to make money, make connections, network, do all that stuff? Mm. I think it was probably a combination of of everything. But yeah, being around so many adults growing up, that's a great point. I mean, I, at seven years old on the set of a commercial, mm-hmm. I was like going up to this director who's probably in his 40s or 50s trying to collaborate with him and, and work on ideas or... Wow hey, like maybe I could say this one line. And I realized that people actually gave me the opportunity despite my age. As long as I asked, um, people who are much older than me were were down to let me collaborate. Mm. And so like, 
I think that that's also a big part of it. But nice. yeah, I, I basically grew up on sets. You know, I never went to middle school or high school, so I've you know had a, a kind of different upbringing than than most, and wow. I'm grateful for it. I don't I don't think about what it would have been otherwise. But wow, I've never met someone that didn't do middle school and high school. How did you bypass that? Because I wish I I wish I did wish I did that sometimes. <laughs> so I was homeschooled. It wasn't okay. like I wasn't doing any schooling. Um, but it, it was pretty difficult. I mean, you miss out on, you completely miss out on any social interaction, mm. making friends like that. Right. Growing up on sets, they actually give you a studio teacher mm. and this teacher is assigned to a certain number of actors and you meet with them for, you know, three hours, four hours a day. <clears throat> but as we all know, it doesn't, you can't do high school in three to four hours a day. Right. Like that's impossible. Yeah. And so w- while filming dog with the blog, getting through high school was really difficult. And mm-hmm. I was in all AP classes and I fell way behind and mm-hmm. I had to catch up a lot during the summer when I wasn't filming. Right, because you're spending 10, 12 hours a day filming, so you got no time to study or do anything. Yeah, there's very little downtime. And then as soon as I get home, like I want to relax, I want to chill. Right. So, you know, a, a working day on, on a TV set, you might be working, waking up at 6 a.m. and then getting back home mm-hmm. by like 5, 6, 7 p.m., um, some of the shooting nights even go as late as like 10 and 11 p.m. That's crazy. And then on a film set, you might be doing an overnight shoot. So I did this one movie called Princess of the Row that we started the production. We started filming at 2 a.m. because mm-hmm. it was a nighttime scene. So the hours can get pretty crazy. Mm. Why do you think a lot of these child actors and these famous Disney actors like go crazy like later on in their adult lives? I can't speak to everyone. I don't know. I feel like everyone's got their own story and situation, but... When you're very young and you're blessed with certain opportunities and making sometimes a lot of money at a very young age, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty easy to, to fall into things that might not be the best for your for your uh, trajectory. Right. And so I grew up a, around a lot of other you know, peers and Disney Channel um, kids growing up. And I, I always had my own path and my parents were, I was very close to my parents. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that relationship um, was very helpful. Like, mm. They were my rock. They they were there to support me and help guide me. So luckily, I didn't fall into any of those other buckets. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw a lot of stuff, and and I I feel for you know a lot of the child actors out there who might have gone down the wrong path. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. We always wonder what it's like, you know, having friends when you're just being becoming such a productive person. You're doing a lot of stuff in life. Are there any friends that you've had with you since you were seven, eight years old on a set at a, you know, acting? Oh, for sure. Like as, as support? Anything, right? Like friends you made then that you are still friends with now that have shepherded you through life. Mm. I, there are very few people I can say um, because, you, you know, people come and go. And yeah. moving to L.A., I realized a lot of people want to be friends with you for, for the wrong reasons mm. or people aren't what they say they are. Right. So, I mean, I've definitely had that core group of friends. Um you know, I can count on my fingers. Nice. And I think, you know, you are who you, you are who you surround yourself with. Yeah. Right. So, um, one of, one of the guys, uh, Nicky Pabone, he's actually now Jack Harlow's music producer. Nice. It's always fun, like tagging along on, on the shows and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's been my family and like a core group of, of three or four people for sure. Nice. Let's get into the venture capital stuff you're doing. Cause that's a world that I know nothing about. Um, in terms of like running that operation. So how did you get involved with that? Yeah, so I started working with a company called Lumanu um, back about three years ago. And Lumanu was building tools for creators. Mm -hmm. And during Lumanu's Series A, so um, companies do fundraising rounds 
in venture capital and you know your series a you're typically raising 12 to 15 million dollars for your startup mm -hmm. we decided that as a creator first company it would be imperative that we actually bring in creators as part of the cap table as mm -hmm. part of the investors mm -hmm. and in doing that i realized so many creators influencers have so much more to offer than just being digital billboards mm -hmm. And it spawned the idea of launching something called Creator-Led Ventures, which is my venture fund. And right. the venture fund is backed by influencers. So we have people like Graham Stephan, Nas from um, Nas Daily, mm. Alexis Wren, and all sorts of really cool people would love for you to be a part of it one Absolutely. day too. And you know, we invest in early stage companies and we come together and, and bring our influence to the table, bring our strategy, our business acumen mm. and women. And um, I think it's, it's a really cool kind of 20, 30 year trajectory for myself. Like I, I've always been fascinated by investing ever since I was eight years old. Right. There's so many cool companies out there who are doing amazing things. I mean, this AI renaissance is so exciting. Absolutely. There's a lot of cool stuff happening and uh, I want to be a part of it. It's exciting, man. I mean, I think this new creator investment model is going to really work well because you're seeing it with Logan Paul and Prime. You're seeing it with Mr. Beast. Uh, that I forget his name, but he just sold Mint Mobile. Yeah, and he owned twenty five percent of it. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan sure. Reynolds. I mean, that's exciting. If you're a creator now, there's there's going to be some great opportunities. I think you're exactly right. I mean, there's the the retail side of it, right, where you're like launching products. Um, there's also the actual like company side where you're building technology, and so we're seeing Kim Kardashian launched her own fund. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Beast has a fund. You know, Charlie D'Amelio has a fund where they invest in companies mm. i see creator led as the fund for all creators it doesn't mm. matter how big or small you are it's not one creator's fund it's where anybody with a following it could be ten thousand followers or 100 million followers can come together and have access to this really unique um, asset class it's awesome i'm wondering how did this start because obviously you know you grew up slightly pre-social media craze right totally. like and then you benefited very much from a lot of exposure when exposure was in limited supply. Now that you're moving into this creator investment model, how do you see it flipping from celebrities in the more traditional sense, right, TV, radio, everything, to now becoming pseudo-celebrities via social media? Do you, is this a transition that's gonna move away from the traditional roles of celebrity status? Or are we seeing just like a completely different economy where social media is gonna matter more than anything else? It's completely flipped for sure. I mean, and, and you're right. I grew up in this pre-social media day. I remember I created a Twitter account in 2009 and that was at the time that I was on Disney Channel mm -hmm. and it was kind of looked down upon. <laughs> Nobody was encouraging the fact that I had social media. The fact wow. that I, an actor who happened to be on a TV show, could have the power to post to my whole audience. Like mm. suddenly the power had shifted wow. and that dynamic was really, really interesting. So we look at it today, fast forward, you've got all the major networks are on social media. Mm -hmm. They all have strategies. I believe that in 2023 um, and for the next five years, if your company is not a media company, you will not succeed. Wow. So we're seeing more traditional companies um, being flipped upside down or in T-Mobile's case, even partnering with a big you know, actor slash celebrity slash creator like Ryan right. Reynolds um, to basically uh, fast track themselves to have that brand recognition mm -hmm. and take what he's built already. But you're absolutely right. Um, I think every company has to become a media company or they will not survive. And the alternative to that is partnering with creators who have already built up a really strong presence and brand. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, Barstool Sports just got acquired. All they do is media. Great example. Yeah. 
I 100% agree. I want to touch up on the caffeine stuff. Okay. So it's fu- I've never talked about this yeah, on a this podcast is before. Very interesting to me. I've never met someone who has given up caffeine. What made you decide to go that route? So it's funny because I used to be sponsored by an energy drink company. <laughs> um, so that's a whole other story. I think that for me, I realized whenever I was on caffeine, I was kind of anxious, jittery. Um, it put my mind in a state where I did not feel like I was in control. Mm. And I tried it as just kind of a challenge with my friends. Like, hey, let's just quit caffeine for a week and see what happens. Right. And a week turned into two weeks, which turned into a month, which turned into a year. Wow. I think I've been off caffeine for almost four years now. Whoa. And I also quit alcohol the same day that I quit caffeine. Nice. So it's been um it's been challenging. And you know, all of this to say I, I I did it to experiment with myself, with my own body and see see how I feel. And you've got people like, you know, Dr. Huberman out there with his podcast <laughs> talking about um the the effects and he's got some some really powerful um and compelling facts to, to back why people should consider lowering their alcohol consumption, lowering their caffeine consumption. Right. Um, I feel like a completely different person wow. and my energy level all day is just complete. It's just steady straight. Interesting. And I don't have any crashes or ups and downs. I feel like from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I'm just on in a steady like state of, of, uh, energy. So Charlie, you drink coffee every day. Do you want to make a rebuttal to his argument? No, because it's a stopgap measure, right? Like it is uh, coffee is a bandaid for a bullet hole. Right. It is basically a way to get up. It's a blocker, right? To basically trick your body into not thinking you're awake or not thinking you're asleep. The hardest thing for me is just getting going in the morning without that cup of coffee. You could probably it'd be a good placebo effect to try giving me decaf and seeing if it's just like the sheer act of drinking the coffee that makes me happy. I quit drinking or quit eating sugar recently. That is the most addicting thing in the world. So was it harder for you to quit coffee or alcohol? Mm. Good question. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like the, um, I feel like the caffeine was probably a lot harder. Really? Yeah, I feel like caffeine is is super addicting. Um, I don't know if alcohol has the same addicting qualities. I don't know the yeah. science behind that. I'm sure it has some, but yeah, for me, the caffeine was was super difficult to quit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm a month off alcohol now, and oh, I, wow. I feel amazing. I think I'm done forever, honestly. Really? Yeah. Maybe like when I get married, but other than that, I mean. There's no point. Like that's awesome, and I think more and more um, people are waking up to this. Like yeah. now, when I go out to to parties or clubs, like people aren't talking as much about like getting blacked out, getting <laughs> yeah. hammered. It used to be a no. cool thing. Yeah, yeah it no. used to be cool, and now it's. I think people are starting to accept the fact that there may there might be other alternatives out there. Right. I mean, you know, you look at um, cannabis industry, even um, some of the other things that are out there that mm-hmm. I think can can help people like get some sort of a high. That's going to be a lot more. Um, natural for, for yeah. your body. I've also got something for you for, for the, the coffee thing. Okay. So I, I, something I tried that I think is really helpful. It sounds a little bit crazy, but it's chicken broth in the morning. You guys ever heard of this? No. So ch- chicken broth in the morning, apparently it's, it's amazing for your immune system, for your health. It's got protein, fat. Mm. Um, every morning I heat up some chicken broth. I do a little cayenne pepper, salt, pepper, and it, it tastes amazing and I feel great because it's got everything you need. Watered down or just like straight chicken broth? Straight chicken broth, just organic, you know, free so you range put chicken it in broth. a bowl, put some cayenne, salt, put it in the microwave for a minute. A little bit of cayenne. Don't overdo the bit, cayenne. Okay, yeah. a little bit of cayenne. Put it in the microwave for a minute and then you drink it. That's it. Yeah. I, I do it over a stovetop, but okay. yeah, every morning. And I'm going to try that. 
if you ever take a, a meeting with me in the morning and I'm drinking out of, out of <laughs> it's like chicken this, broth, it's chicken broth. Yeah. Wow. I visited my buddy over at uh, Ben Group. It's just like a media uh, network. And uh, he, he was like, hey, do, do you want a coffee? I'm like, no, I'm good. I, I've got this. He's like, oh, what is that? And I'm like, it's chicken broth. He's <laughs> like, you're joking. He went around the, the office and like trying to make everyone guess what I was drinking. Nobody guessed it, wow. of course. You might have to start a chicken broth brand now. It's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> I feel like that's been that. done before, though. <laughs> so are there any energy boosters that you do use? Right? Because, like, I mean, caffeine, obviously you cut that out. Yep. Does the chicken broth give you energy? Is there any sort of, you know, supplements, vitamins, anything that you think that is giving you energy other than just you letting everything be natural? Mm. I definitely have a pretty good, like, supplement routine. Um, I take Ritual, which is a, a pretty cool brand that's out there that, um, you can like trace back where every single ingredient comes from. Oh, nice. But I don't do any stimulants. Okay. So anything like even having a chocolate bar for me, I can feel the, the effects of the caffeine. Whoa. It's crazy. Wait, there, oh, there's caffeine in chocolate. Because of the cacao uh, or the cocoa. Oh, like, shit. I didn't, I didn't know, know that. that. I didn't think about wow. that. Wow. So I have to be kind of careful because I get, yeah, like I said, I get a, like a little bit anxious sometimes or even like... um teas like i have to watch out if it's an herbal tea versus you know green tea or something like that right because they have caffeine too what role does money play in your life is it the most important thing for you is it a byproduct how do you treat money i think money is a tool um and it comes it ebbs it flows ultimately you know to acquire the most amount of money you can in your lifetime takes a lot of effort in mm -hmm. most people's cases and i think it's easy to get distracted by that mm. um and so something i learned especially as an actor and someone who's like literally had an income since i was like seven years old i formed my llc at that young age mm -hmm. um i realized that you know money isn't everything and that i've really got to prioritize like my my big thing for the past three years is is trying to prioritize family mm. and making time for them and seeing them um over money because especially now i think it has never been a better time to earn a living doing what you love to do. Mm. All the tools are out there. Right. The cost to entry is next to nothing. Right. And so I think a lot of people are finding their side hustles and the things that they love to do, but I would definitely caution them that um, you know money isn't everything. I love that. What is your biggest L? Not from a, <laughs> not from a money standpoint, maybe time, maybe like a collaborative relationship or anything like that. What would you say is your biggest regret or your biggest loss? You know, since being seven years old. No regrets. No regrets. My biggest L. That's such a loaded question. Throw someone, throw someone under the bus. It'll be fun. Throw someone under the bus. It doesn't have to be money. It could be just... Yeah, time investment. It can be emotional investment. Ex-girlfriend. Yeah, anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that from around when I was 19, I, I spent a lot of my time hanging around people who probably weren't the best influences for me mm. and kind of got lost in the sauce. Okay. You know, like I was around people who love to party and hang out and like be out super late hours. And, mm. um, there wasn't any ill intent. I was having a fun time. It was just a total waste of time mm. because I look back at that time period and I was like, damn, I could have been building something. Right. I could have been creating a company that could have changed people's lives in some way. I could have been building um, my trajectory. So I think I, I, I wasted a lot of time during those years. But I look back at that and I'm grateful that I had that opportunity to kind of figure myself out. Mm. Um, because it, at a certain point, I kind of snapped out of it. And, and that's that's around the time where 
that's around the time when I quit alcohol and, and caffeine just as an experiment to myself to see if I could do it right. where that one week turned into two, turned into a month. Yeah. And my, my whole life 10 X wow. when I, when I made those changes. That's crazy. I can relate for sure. I think we all had that weird party phase in like mm -hmm. high school, college where we just thought it was cool to black out and do, smoke weed and stuff. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It was, it wasn't as much the blacking out. Just, I think like <laughs> being around the, the wrong, the wrong people, right? Like I love surrounding myself with really motivated people who are going to uplift me right. and together collectively, we can sort of bring each other to a higher level and it doesn't have to be money. Right. Absolutely. Um, but just having conversations about creating things and making things, that's what really inspires me. Facts. What, what are you excited about with AI? AI? That's a big subject. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts, but you know, from a, creating perspective and someone who loves to create things online, I think it's going to totally change the game. It already is mm. of how people are creating content, editing content. There are so many tools out there that can literally expedite your sort of content workflow. Yep. I love it. So you're seeing editing apps like mm. Big Room. Um, you're seeing, you know, Notion has an awesome AI editor where you can, you know, uh, create different texts. And I think they use open AI, you know, mm. GPT through that. And we're just going to see a massive influx of, I think, companies that are built by a single person who don't have any staff and they're entirely using AI to sort yep. of be, be their staff there too. Yeah, I met someone yesterday who's saving like 20K a month on legal bills using like just legal AI. I use a copywriting AI. I use, uh, I use an AI that determines my YouTube titles and descriptions. What do you use? Uh, I think it's called podcastmarketing.ai. Nice. And it literally makes the title, makes a description. There's another AI that will make the clips. So you input the full podcast, it makes clips with the subtitles. It's crazy. Yeah. It saves you so much time. That's so exciting. Yeah. I think there's there's so much that's going to be built out of this and, and it's just the beginning. You think it's a fad or you think it's here to stay? AI is for sure here to stay. Um, I don't know how far we'll, we'll get until we sort of hit a stopgap. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's exciting to see. And I think there's a lot more innovation that, that can happen in the space. Absolutely. The craziest that I heard was within a year, 90% of everything you see online will be generated by AI. Whoa. Wow. That's insane. You know, even down to like, you know, editing the clips, doing the copy, even if there's actually real people, you know, doing the prompts and stuff like that, almost all the content you're going to see will have been, had AI's hands in it at some point. Yeah. Wow. That's mind boggling. And there's a lot of people who've already fully committed to it, right? So there's a lot of people like with social media, like with the internet, like we saw with NFTs, cryptocurrency, everything, where people are taking this wait and see approach. I think with AI, it doesn't need mass adoption for it to already be everywhere. It just takes a very dedicated, committed, small group of entrepreneurs, whatever, who are growing businesses with the use of AI. People are going to be consuming AI without even knowing it. So whether they like it or not, it's absolutely here to stay. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know what number would... Um justify mass adoption but chat gpt you know gained a million users within the first day mm -hmm. wow. i think they might be closer in the tens or hundreds of millions so holy crap it's wow. I, I you might need to fact check me on that but i think they've grown uh substantially and it's like hockey That's stick nuts. growth right now so i haven't tried the new one they just came out with gpt4 yeah, yeah. apparently it, it can like pass the bar exam and all of these other tests it's amazing I, wow. I yeah it's awesome it's got like it's another level of cognitive abilities that i think gpt3 just did not did not have and That's i think crazy. it's going to allow people to go you know, ask it a lot more deeper questions. And, and right. right now it's, I feel like GPT-3 is like very elementary level, For sure. right? But GPT-4 and as they continue, it's sort of like the Teslas, right? Like the more Teslas that are on the road, the more yeah. they all contribute to this, you know, idea of singularity, this like 
hive mind. Right. And that's exactly what's happening with OpenAI. Would you get Neuralink? Would I get Neuralink? Um, maybe if it was <laughs> if it was proved safe. Okay. Um, so you I, would be an AI. I would be an AI. I'm not sure that's what Neuralink is going to be in the short term. I think Neuralink is going to be more about um, helping like diseases, from what I understand. Wait, are we talking about the same thing? Neuralink from Elon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Neuralink in the beginning, I believe their goal is to sort of eradicate some diseases, um, uh, you know, that usually spawn from old age. Okay, I didn't know that. So that's how they're sort of getting into market and will probably get their stamp of approval uh, by the government, although I've heard they've been having some issues with that. Okay. Um, eventually, I think it'll definitely get into more of like the robot humanoid. Interesting. So they plan on rewiring the brain to fight diseases, basically. I think that's that's part of the goal, which I think is really exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, fighting things like dementia, for example. I know right. plenty of people and families who have suffered from that. Yeah. So it's going to be very, very cool to see in our lifetime some of those things being completely eradicated. And yeah. that's just like it kind of speaks to some of the amazing advancements that technology is going to be able to bring to us and our families in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like something like Neuralink, at least on the you know disease fighting um, path forward, uh, I'm I'm really happy about that. Yeah, man, it's been a pleasure. Uh, any closing comments and where people can find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me just searching my name, Blake Michael, Instagram, TikTok, all the things. Awesome, you heard it here, folks. Uh, Digital Social Hour, Sean Kelly here, Charlie. I'll see you guys next week. Peace.